Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Deeper Still, the women's ministry podcast of Christ Church of Oak Brook. My name is Sue Ann Camfield. I serve on staff here at the church and I am the host of this podcast. And as always, it is such a joy to be with you. So thanks so much for joining us today. Um, Well, I have to say, I am so excited about today's episode. We are going to take a pause in our series on the book of James that we've been working so hard to get through, and we're actually going to come back to that in January of 2021, and I do hope you will come back and join us for that. But one of the amazing things that happen when we press pause in our lives is we create space for God to do something new. And that's exactly what we're going to do today. And so from time to time, we invite friends here to the studio to encourage and inspire us and challenge us in all kinds of ways. And today I have in the studio with me an incredible woman of influence to do just that, Tara Beth Leach. Tara Beth is an author and a pastor who recently rejoined the staff of Christ Church as an associate pastor after serving as the women's director here back in 2015 and 2016. Most recently, Tara Beth served as the senior pastor of First Church of the Nazarene of Pasadena, more affectionately known as Paznaz in Southern California. She's a graduate of Olivet Nazarene University. She earned her Master's of Divinity degree from Northern Theological Seminary. She has written for New numerous publications, and she is the author of Emboldened, a vision for empowering women in ministry that we're going to talk about today. She also has an upcoming book called Radiant that is set to release from our friends at University Press in 2021, and we're really excited to hear more about that today as well. She is married to Jeff. She has two beautiful and rambunctious sons, her words, not mine, named Caleb and Noah, and is passionate about God's work in the local and global church. Friends, she is dynamite. So grab a cup of coffee or pay attention to the road if you're driving right now and listen in as Tara Beth and I go deeper still. Well, welcome, Tara Beth. I am beside myself excited that you are here today. Thank you, Swan. It is such a joy to be here, and I have felt so at home already in just these first few weeks, and I'm so glad to be with you and reconnecting with the women of Christ Church of Oak Brook. I have nothing but just joyous and fond memories of these women who love the Lord so much. Mm, And there are so many women who are so excited to hear your voice today. There are so many women who are not familiar with your voice, and so I'm excited for them to be introduced to you. But there are so many women that have, have just been and so encouraged by your time here at Christ Church, about your your time since you've been away from Christ Church and how they've continued to follow your influence. And I know they are just um, loving, loving, loving hearing your voice once again in their lives today. So I'm, I'm just so glad you're here. Yeah, me too. And I'm looking forward to when COVID is over and I can see some of these faces, new and uh, familiar faces, without masks, hopefully, one of these days. Tara Beth, as a pastor, do you have any insight from the Lord on when COVID will be over? Mm, Yes, yes. (laughs) I I have done much praying and fasting, and I suspect that it'll be sometime in the future. Oh, good, 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 good. That's very wise of you. Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) Well, you know, Tara Beth, there are so many parts of your story that I'm excited to talk about today. And one of the things I love so much about you is that um, 
you are passionate about so many things that we are passionate here about as people, as women, uh, that our audience is passionate about, and we have so much overlap. And so I just think there's going to be so much richness in what we have to share today and what you have to share today. And so honestly, as I prepare for our time today, the hardest part was trying to figure out where to start. because I have so much I want to cover. And so I thought maybe the best place to start um, would be when I was first introduced to you and when you first came to Christchurch. So you and my husband, Eric, were actually um, schoolmates, classmates. Is that the right way to say it? Yeah, we sat next to each other in many classes (laughs) and commiserated together about how our family life and Saturdays were taken over by writing papers for Scott McKnight. (laughs) That's right. Who you both adore. Yes, yes. But yes, and so I just remember he would come home and he would say, gosh, there's this this woman that I'm in seminary with. I think you would really like her. Uh, I think she's fabulous. I think she's going to do great things. And then a position opened up here at Christ Church for the women's director. And I remember him saying, oh, this is my chance. I'm going to get Tara Beth in here for this thing. And he brought you into interview. Uh, you killed it. Everyone loved you. You became, as we said, just this really in a very short time, a very loved part of the community here at Christchurch. But then you were on staff here for about two years, mm-hmm. and um, God started creating a new path for you that mm-hmm. was actually years in the making, mm-hmm. um, but maybe also caught you a little off guard. And I'm wondering mm-hmm. if you could share that piece of your journey. Yeah, you bet. So when I got here to Christchurch of Oakbrook, I I thought I was set. This was home. Uh, This is a wonderful place to serve. I was doing what I love, teaching the Bible. I love God's Word. I love Scripture. And so we really felt like we were making a home here. And in fact, when I first started here, I was commuting from the Naperville area, and we began even looking at homes in Downers Grove because we really wanted to settle here. And just like God often does, holy disruptions Hmm. come. And that's exactly what happened with us. I was not seeking anything out. I got a call in December of 2015 all the way from Southern California from a search committee. And they said, hey, what would you think about interviewing, um, about becoming our senior pastor? Mm. And I said, what church is this? And they said, First Church of the Nazarene of Pasadena, we're affectionately known as Paznaz. And it, it took my breath away, Swan, because I knew this church quite well. It is a a well-known church in our denomination, often called the flagship church, legacy church, others have called it. It's the second oldest church in our denomination and has just had a really rich history. And not just Pasadena, but uh, in Southern California and globally through their work with missions and global missions. And so it really just took my breath away when they said that they were interested in me coming and interviewing. And so what did you do with that? What did you say? Yeah, I said, well, let me <laughs> let me talk to my husband. I remember, so at the time, my boys were little. And so, you know, these were in the days where you take a phone call locked in your closet, sitting on the floor while they're banging on the door. And so my kids were actually banging on the door trying to get in while I was sitting on the floor in the closet on this phone call. And I said, well, I'm really honored. Um, I, you know... And I said, I, I wonder if you have the right person, though. Why are you calling me? Um, I said, maybe like just because you know I have some sort of online presence, it's it's led you to believe that I'm someone that I'm not. Uh, there's mm. surely you didn't mean to call me. And they said, no, actually, you know, we we got your name from the general superintendent in the Church of the Nazarene, and we did mean to call you. 
And so that then just sent us on this, you know, really long four or five month discernment process of, of praying and fasting and interviewing and flying back and forth to California, countless conversations. And it really became clear, abundantly clear that that the Lord was calling us to to make this crazy, outrageous move away from our family to Southern California to pastor this church. Mm. And you got there. Yes. And you were the first female pastor mm-hmm. of that church. That's right. You share a story in your book of walking down, I think, some of the hallways of the church and just seeing the legacy, as yeah. you said, of yep. the history of the pastors who have been part of that church. They were all white men, right. as you said, right. yep. here you come in, you're in your 30s, mm-hmm. you are female, mm-hmm. um, you walk in, you're installed as the senior pastor of this church, and the church, everyone in the church celebrated that you were the first female pastor in the church, right? Almost everyone, <laughs> yes, you. yes, almost everyone, the ones who stayed, yes. I suppose, so you know, it was, there was so many beautiful things. And one of the things that I always say about Paznaz is nothing was lost. Mm. Um, God moved in ways that are still a mystery to me. And we saw some of that and some of the things we didn't see. But but no, not everyone did celebrate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the way that our denomination works is those who you have to, obviously, I mean, probably like here at Christ Church, you have to be a member to vote. And oftentimes, larger churches like this, you have a lot of people who are attending that never become members. And so for a church of, of 1,800, 1,900, some, somewhere around uh, 250, uh, or maybe it was 500, somewhere, I mean, a small fraction of the people voted, okay? Mm-hmm. And so so what happened was when I got there, uh, those who attend the church, uh, somewhere between 500 and 600 people walked out the door within my first seven days of being there. And so we did have a lot of people that were so excited mm-hmm. that said, this is it, this is, this is a change in the trajectory for not just our denomination, but for evangelicals. So many people were watching. It was a moment. It mm-hmm. was a moment for women. It was a moment for our church. It was a moment for the Church of the Nazarene. And so many were expectant and hopeful that God was doing a new thing mm-hmm. and that there was going to be new wineskins, that the spirit of Pentecost was, was bursting forth. And that absolutely did happen. And as we all often know is that when God is doing new things— we often experience just the ways that that the enemy works through systems, right? Old, um, decaying systems. And some of those systems are systems that have sidelined women, have rejected women, um, and people who say that, I just, I just can't do a woman in ministry. You know, I can't tell you how many people said, you know, I like you. Mm. You seem really great, but I just can't do a female. And then we had anything from that to, um, you know, to folks who said, you know, they just couldn't do it theologically. They didn't believe in in the female office. Interesting. And you share, um, I mean, you've been pretty vulnerable to share um, how some of those comments have affected you over time and just not even um, how they've affected you, but what some of those were about some of the interactions that you've had. 
Um, and I just think how that weighs, it weighs on a person mm -hmm. over time. Mm -hmm. And you, I admire you so much because you, even as you're sitting here today, mm -hmm. you're celebrating the goodness of the mm -hmm. people and that moment in history. I love that you say that. That is an, an anointed moment mm -hmm. that so many people stepped into. Yeah. But yet there's this other narrative going on yeah. that you as a female pastor have had to weather. Yes. And it's been a lot. It's been a lot. And so share a little bit and feel free to share if there's some more stories that pop up um, so that our audience just understands what's that, what that's like, because I think it is important because I think sometimes we can say things to someone that we don't even know what we're saying all the time. Like your comment, I like you, but they might have no mm -hmm. idea what, it, what mm -hmm. that's saying. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering um, if you want to share any more about that, but also how then you keep getting back up, how, how you've weathered those criticisms in a way that um, has allowed you to keep stepping into the places that God has called you to. Yeah, yeah. Well, and first of all, let me say, you know, I, of course, there's all those hard things that we went through. And I also just have to say, there's also a faithful remnant at Paznaz that mm -hmm. was my biggest cheerleaders and supporters. And I miss them still. I love them. And so there's, it's a good church. It's a good, 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 good of church. And so, and then also, yeah, it was, there was a lot to weather. You know, when that many people leave a church at once, it rocks a church to its core. It's not like people just leave and everyone shrugs their shoulders and says, oh, well, mm. <laughs> you know, you know, their loss. Um, actually, it has catastrophic impacts on the life of a church, on the financial systems, on the staffing structures, and it ripples on down. And then that can also, um, it's its kind of a, you know, a thread that just where things begin to unravel. Mm -hmm. And we experienced just a lot of really toxic and hurtful things, a lot of toxic and hurtful things that were said to us. And, you know, for any Enneagram listeners out there, just to give you a little bit of context for those of you who are familiar with the Enneagram, um, I'm a six. I'm a loyalist. And so sixes are fear-based. Um, we also internalize a lot. And loyalty is everything. You know, once I'm loyal to a person, um, you have me for life, right? And also at the same time, the way I experience rejection is, you know, wait a second. We're supposed to be loyal. We're in this for the long haul. So it's there's, there's a sense of abandonment that I experience. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, it, early on, um, when I first got there, criticism and the, the painful things that were said to me, I internalized all of that because as a six, I feel like I'm just supposed to take it. And so mm -hmm. I take it in, I take it in, I take it in, I take it in and learn how to navigate it. Well, uh, like many pastors, that catapulted me into therapy. Mm -hmm. And so uh, thank God it did because I believe everyone um, should be in therapy because it is just such an incredible means of grace. Mm -hmm. And so through that, we were able to just unearth so much about me and how I'm wired and how to navigate a lot of that pain and to be able to to stand up and, and face it with grace mm -hmm. and still be a loving shepherd to people. And so it's been a lot of work. Uh, therapy has been a means of grace for me in which God has worked mm -hmm. and shaped and formed me. Mm. Do you find that you have to then come back to uh, how you're uniquely wired, how God, um, not only how you're uniquely wired, but what God says is true of you, Tara Beth, but what God says is true of his people, 
of his children. When we get these narratives that um, start to make us question, Mm -hmm. even going back to your story of when they first called you from Paznaz and said, we want you to be our senior pastor. And you're like, I think you have the wrong person. Like, I don't know. Right. Um, Share a little bit more about what you've learned about continuing to come back to that truth of, of, how God views you as his child and how we can step into that more and more. Yeah, that's so good. You know, Sue Ann, one of the things that I've often done in uh, during seasons where there is chaos, during seasons that are disorienting, and we're experiencing that right now. Yes. And so one of the things that I often do at practice is I say, okay, well, here, what what are the things that I do know? And then what are the things that I don't know? And so even when it comes to the church in North America, there's, there's so much tumult, there's so much polarization. And I lived it, and it impacted, and, and it, it hurt me. And so I'll often say, okay, here's the things that I do know. I do know that Jesus promised mm-hmm. that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. I do know that Jesus paints an incredible vision for what the bride of Christ can be. And, and I don't think Jesus said that and said, <laughs> good luck, it's not going to happen. Mm. I actually believe Jesus believed it. Mm. And so I know that. Um, I also know what, what Jesus calls me. Jesus calls me a daughter of the resurrection, mm. that, that I am his child, that I am beloved. I also know that I'm called to preach and teach. And so when we begin to cling to the things that we do know, then I think that that can help us navigate the things that we don't know. Mm. You know, right now, I don't know where this is going for me long term. Right now, in, in all this tumult that we're living in, I don't know what the church is going to look like. But then I go back to what I do know. Mm. I know the gates of hell won't prevail. I know that God believes in the church. Jesus believes in the church. And I know that I am a daughter of the resurrection. And so I'm going to live into that. Amen. Amen. I love that because it reminds us, I think especially right now in a time of uncertainty and a time of everything that all of us have been walking through in 2020, it's so easy to focus on the negative. Yes, It's so easy to focus on all of those things mm-hmm. that cause us anxiety. Um, and those are, those are things we need to recognize, right. but not to let them prevail, right. not to let that be the narrative in our lives, the narrative in our culture that wins, but to continue to come back to this truth right. of who God is, what he came to do, yep. what he's called us to do, what his church is, who his church is, that's right. and all of those things. And I think I think that's such a, I think it's a message we need to hear Amen. over and over Amen. and over again. Mm-hmm. If we're all going to get through this thing together, yep. not just get through it, yep. uh, not just survive it, but to actually come back. I've heard people say that, you know what, they think this is actually going to be a time of um, some of the church's greatest revival. Yep. I believe that. And I think we need to pray for that. Me too. Mm. Me too. And I, you know, I um, preached at a church on Sunday and I shared that. I said, call me a prisoner of hope. But I believe coming out of COVID that we could see just some of the greatest revival of our generation. And I believe it. I believe it's possible. And I think that you know, if, if God's people would return to the things that we do know, mm. we know that the church is a people. It's not just what we do on Sunday mornings and that we can continue to be the church yes. through seasons of disorientation that, that we don't have to stop being the church just because there's a pandemic. In fact, it's actually a greater opportunity yes. for us to be the church. Yes, yes. I hope that our women listening um, not only recognize that about the church as a whole, um, but us as individuals, right. how they're continued to um, 
in this place when life feels upside down, what are the opportunities that God has right in front of them to step into that are new, right. that are different, that yep. they never would have experienced yep. before this, and now all of a sudden that are right in front of them. Yep. And I want to come back to this idea um, of the fact that we are emboldened, the fact that we are empowered yes. as as people who have the Holy Spirit living inside of mm-hmm. and, and what that means for us. Because I think so often, you know, we've been talking a lot about the church. We've been talking about what it, what it looks like to even be um, for you as a female pastor in the church, to be a woman leader in the church, and sometimes how that's difficult. But we have so many women out there listening who are, are um, parenting, who are executives mm-hmm. who are are showing up at work every day the single woman who sometimes feels like they're not always sure their life looks a little bit different in all these different ways and i think god has given us a new opportunity to step into some of those places that we haven't expected yes and i think that all of us no matter who we are where we're at there is a tendency in us to think god really me mm-hmm. really you know mm-hmm. just like you shared really right. me right um, so talk a little bit about uh, this idea of being women, being people who have been emboldened, mm-hmm. emboldened by um, the Spirit of Christ and yep. what that looks like when those thoughts come into our head. Yes. And what it looks like to remember what we know is true and to step away from those thoughts and step into the places God is calling us. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, the, one of the reasons why I've been so drawn to the word emboldened is because to be emboldened is is for courage to be imparted upon us, to be given to us. And so to be emboldened is to receive the courage, is to receive the power that only the spirit of the living God can give. Mm. You know, as Christians, we, are, we, are, we, we believe in that spirit of Pentecost. We are Holy Spirit people. And, and, you know, in the book of Acts, when Peter stands up with this incredible sermon and he preaches, one of the things that he says is sons and daughters will prophesy. He doesn't just say sons, but he says sons and daughters will prophesy. And all throughout the story of God, we have amazing examples of women who did these things alongside of their brothers, and that is our calling. And so I think sometimes we are, as women, we are, we are shaped and formed with a very specific imagination for what my role is to look like in the church. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes God says, that's good, that's lovely, that's pure, that's holy, that, that all the things that we are doing, it's good. And sometimes I wonder if God is stretching us to say, and also, you can do this. Mm. And for me, one of the reasons, Suan, why I'm so passionate about this is because I'm passionate about the mission of God and the church. It's This isn't, you know, I think oftentimes when we start talking about this, some folks hear this and they think, is she talking about feminism? Mm. And it becomes this scary word in churches like this. And I'm saying, no, I'm talking about a category that can't even be placed in, you know, in some ideological idea. But instead, for me, this is about the mission of God. Mm. I care about, and again, I'm thankful for, you know, the many different movements um, that have gone before me and the women that have made so much possible. I'm not diminishing that. But what I'm saying is what my passion is the mission of God. And so I think, you know, for all the women that are listening right now, um, I just would want them to know 
that they have a purpose for God's mission. Mm-hmm. That that whether it is um, in the nursery rocking babies or whether it's standing up and proclaiming to the the world that Jesus is alive, or whether it's it's teaching the Bible, or whether it's you know in the junior high ministry, or whether it's serving in your community, the Spirit of God desires to embolden all of us to live in our purposes, not just for for purpose sake, but for His purposes and for the mission of God. Mm-hmm. I hope people. I feel like people listening can. I hope they can feel and hear the Holy Spirit just speaking through you right now because I see it in your eyes. I hear it in your voice. Um, not only of your passion for this, but just how much you believe rock solid. This is truth. Yes. Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. I do. I believe in this. And again, it's just because I've seen it. I've seen the Spirit move. And, you know, I've seen so many women experience and come alive to callings. I mean, Suzanne. I will never forget meeting you and then hearing you preach for the first time um, and teach for the first time at the well. And I thought, my goodness, God is doing something in this woman. Like, yes, her husband, Eric, he's great and all, but Sue Ann, uh, Eric, if you're listening, you know that I love you, but Sue Ann, my goodness. It was so clear and obvious that God had a calling on your life as a shepherd, as a preacher, and as a teacher. And one of my favorite things is watching women come yes. alive to that in all life stages. Yes. I think of about Mickey Linawa, who's mm. here at this church. I will never forget sitting with her and her saying, I think God has something next for me. For me. And now she's graduated seminary yes. and is pursuing being the hands of feet in Jesus in ways that she never imagined. Yes, yes. And, you know, I'm sitting here thinking what you might not know that I have been thinking about that first time when I taught when you were in the room um, is you prayed for me before I taught that day. Mm-hmm. And you prayed that I would have boldness and courage mm-hmm. and confidence when I stepped on that stage. And do you know that to this day, that is still the prayer I pray over myself? Wow. Because when I look at a stage and, yep. you know, yep. I never am not nervous. I am never, I never don't have to fight that imposter yeah. syndrome of like, really me? Why? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, God, I don't yeah. think I'm the one that should be doing this. And, and I pray that prayer uh, every time before I stand in front of anybody and that's not even the the really cool part of that is I pray that prayer over other women. I love that. When oh, I wow. see one of my favorite things that happened in our women's ministry right before quarantine, probably two weeks before everything shut down, the week actually before everything shut down, is we held a women's conference here called the If Gathering. Yes. Uh, many listening came. We had, I don't know, over 400 women here. Wow. And, and we had more women on the stage doing things that God had called them to do mm-hmm. um, than I think we've ever had, at least in my tenure here. And one of the joys for me was just to get to sit back and watch God work through these women. And the prayer I prayed for some of these women who I asked for the very first time to stand on a stage and I'm seeing the the fear in their eyes and I prayed that prayer over them. And I prayed it with such confidence and conviction because I knew what that did for me when you prayed it over me. And then to pass that forward was such a gift. I love that, Sue Ann. That is so powerful and just how the Holy Spirit works, you know. And hopefully that's a reminder for anyone listening right now is that you never know. 
You never know the words um, or the prayers that you say for someone and how that could ring in their ears. Yes. And the importance it is for us as women to see other women, Mm -hmm. not as people who we compete with or we compare ourselves with or or, um, we feel threatened or insecure Mm -hmm. by, but yet when we see them stepping into those places or we see a gift in them to look at them and say, I see this in you. I see the way God is working in your life. How can I help embolden you as another woman? That's right. Because uh, the church needs us. Yep. (laughs) And... As you said, being on mission for God, that's right. The world needs all, not just women. They need all of us that's to right. do our part. That's right. And that's actually one of the things I wrote about in Embolden that I've always been so passionate about is oftentimes in contexts like this, we think there can only be one woman at the table. Mm. You know, there's the spirit of tokenism um, is alive and well, and it it not only harms the church. But it harms the way that women see one another. Yes. You know, I will never forget when I first came on staff here and Tracy Bianchi was on staff. And oh my goodness, I I was just like, wow, Tracy Bianchi is amazing. And the ways that she championed me, the ways that, that she cheered me on, I will never forget that. And I think that that is that is the spirit of the church that women have got to be coming alongside of one another, celebrating one another, and 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 showing the world that there's not just one seat. Mm. There are many seats at the table. And if they happen to be all filled with women or if they happen to have, you know, a handful, it just we've 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 got to push against this idea that there's just one seat. Yes. Yeah. So one of your um, quotes I pulled out of your book, it says, women in the church are consistently underestimating themselves and the gifts God has given them. Mm-hmm. But when we look to the emboldened presence of the Holy Spirit, our perspective starts to change. Yes, yes. And you have been sharing that throughout mm-hmm. our time together. And one of my favorite stories um, was when that you wrote about in the book was when you got to Pasnaz and there was a gentleman who um, I believe is the one that brought you there or was mm-hmm. responsible yeah. for bringing Larry. Larry, uh-huh. yes. I didn't want to share his yeah. name in case okay. I yeah. wasn't supposed to. And he acknowledged that this isn't going to be easy. Right. Um, this might actually be the harder way, but I believe in you, Tara Beth, and I believe that this is where God is calling the church. And he navigated some some difficult things in order to continue that vision. And you share that he, as a man, emboldened you. Yes. And I think there there is this... Um, as women empowering women, mm-hmm. but there's also this place where when a man steps into that place and emboldens women, mm-hmm. there there's something very beautiful about mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Can you share a little bit more yeah, about that? Yeah, absolutely. I, this kingdom vision of, of this idea of, of our participation and partnering in the mission of God is about men and women co-laboring together and partnering together. And the reality is, is we still live in a world where men are often, uh, more often um, going to be at the table and to hold more power. And so men have a responsibility. Just because they hold power, that's not bad. Um, And also, they have a responsibility of what they're going to do with that. And so there are a lot of men who have positions where they can 
open doors for women where they can make it possible to pull up a chair to the table and say, this table is big enough for you and for you and for you Mm -hmm. because they have a voice, they have the position, and they have the power. And that's something that is so rich about Christ Church of Oakbrook, something that Dan Meyer and some of the other pastors have done as they've said, this place will be richer with women in the pulpit. This place will be richer with with women who are elders. This place will be richer with women who who are who are teaching. Whatever it is, we need those men who will boldly do that because what what we often don't know is when they do that, they're going to receive arrows for that. They are going to experience um, some really hard opposition, and so we need our, we need our brothers to be courageous and to open the doors and pull up chairs to the table. Mm. Christ Church is a place where that happens. Is a is a woman who came here. You know, Eric and I have been here for uh, I think fifteen years. I've been on staff for only four, but mm-hmm. I've been a part of this church and have been. Um, invited into a lot of places mm-hmm. long before I was on staff that I, I kind of scratched my head like, I don't think you should be asking me to do this. Yeah. Like, I, I'm not sure that I'm qualified, that I'm equipped. And yet both men and women invited me into those places. And I wasn't ready for those right. places. They invited right. me into them before I was ready. And I think that's another key piece that sometimes, especially in a big, shiny church like ours, right. we think we have to wait for people to look bright and shiny before we invite them into right, those places. Right. And I think that is also something we have to um, be aware of. Right. But Christ Church of Oakbrook has been a place where men and women, it's this beautiful picture that serve alongside. It's not perfect. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate so much what you're saying about Dan as a person who um, wants to keep pushing the envelope right. in this area. Right. He, he is not, he is not content with the status quo. Right. Right. To your point that maybe there's two places for women at the table. He wants to continue to push those boundaries. Yep. And I think we need that too. That's right. That's right. Yep. I really appreciate Dan's leadership on that. I think that, that men maybe aren't always aware of, of this place they can play, of this role they can mm-hmm. play. I think I'm thankful for when they do. Mm-hmm. But I think there's also still a lot of times when um, that's not always the case. Or when people, when we're in a church like ours, that people look around and uh, it's normal for men and women to be serving alongside each other yep. the way they do. And they take it for granted that not not every church has a place like this where women feel as empowered and emboldened as they do here. Right, right. And one of the things I really love that you shared in your book also was how many um, young women came to you and said, I've never seen a woman preach I've never seen a woman lead. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we can underestimate what that piece is like. That's right. Can you share a little bit more yeah. about your experience as a female leader of people coming to you and saying, I've never seen a woman do what you do? Yeah, that's always one of just the more hopeful, brightful spots for me is whenever I hear that. And I'm sure you've heard it after preaching as well. Someone will say, wow, I... I never thought about a woman preacher or a woman pastor. Uh, And it's always so powerful, especially when a young woman Mm. says it. Because then I always think, wow, what is the Holy Spirit doing her her right now? How is the Spirit forming her and shaping her imagination for the church? We've often heard so many people say, we will never be able to imagine what we can't see before our very eyes. Mm. Um, Or we're less likely to. And so if all we ever see is, is male 
um, pastors and preachers, more often than not, our imaginations then are going to be male pastors and preachers. And more often than not, it's going to be men who then someday imagine themselves as pastors and preachers and women um, perhaps is in a different role in the church. And so imaginations um, begin to shift, which then begins to shift the church, which then begins to shift, I believe, the movement of men and women partnering together in greater mm. ways. Yeah. One of the things that has brought this home for me is when I hear my, my children. So mm-hmm. I have um, two teenagers now, so an 18-year-old and a 17-year-old. And I remember a couple of years ago when um, I said for the first time to my children that, you know, it's not normal. Or I, I shouldn't say it's not normal. It's unique or not as common to see women preaching, that there, there are some churches where they don't believe necessarily that a woman could be preaching or mm-hmm. teaching or would be on the platform. And my kids were like, what? Yeah. And my daughter, especially Sadie, she goes, well, well mom, that's stupid. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so we we have this gift mm-hmm. here of, of uh, generations um, getting to see that. That's right. But yet it's not always the case. Right. Right. I have this dream of of someday being around my grandchildren and I'm sitting in a rocking chair and they dig up this dusty old decrepit book called Emboldened. Mm. And they say, what's this? And I tell them and I tell them why I wrote the book. And they say, well, that's weird because I see women pastors everywhere. Mm. That's a beautiful vision. Yeah. Mm. I hope that someday that book is just not needed. That's right. May it be so. Mm -hmm. So Tara Beth, you were out in California you were the senior pastor of a flagship church of your denomination doing a job that you never imagined that maybe you would be doing. Um, you were in sunny California. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now here you are back in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you didn't um, necessarily imagine this part of your journey either. And I'm wondering if you can share a little bit what brought you back and what does this process, this next piece of your journey look like for you? Yeah, so I'm so grateful for the ways that God has carved a path in God's grace for us to be here. Again, I never thought I was going to leave. It's wild that I'm back here. In some ways, it feels like a crazy dream. And in some ways, it feels like that I fell asleep for five years and I woke up and I'm still at Christ Church. (laughs) And it was just all a dream out in California. Mm. But the short of the long story is 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 in February, my dad was diagnosed with stage four stomach cancer and was told that he had only nine months to 12 months to live. Mm. Two months later, my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, which was not a surprise to our family, um, at least it wasn't to me, as um, symptoms had already been showing. And then there were other family dynamics that were happening. So in March, you know, COVID hit, rocked our worlds, and I was flying back to Chicago during this pandemic twice a month Mm. uh, to be with my folks, to be with my family. And at first, I thought it was, well, my dad's time is short. I need to spend as much time with him as possible. And then it's been a roller coaster since as he's, he's been exploring new treatments and, you know, honestly... It has been such a roller coaster where one week we think we're losing him and the next week they say, no, you can fight this and you could have three more years. And it's been this back and forth jolting roller coaster with actually both of my parents' care journey. 
So in August, I was at the University of Iowa where my dad is undergoing treatment, and the surgery had gone really poorly. And so we were going to take just a new path for treatment. And I was sitting in the hospital room with him. And we were also navigating some really, really, really hard things at Paznaz, political tensions, racial tensions, uh, financial issues, uh, the list just goes on. And so on one end, I'm just getting bombarded with questions and emails. And on the other end, I'm getting bombarded with questions um, uh, from, from doctors and surgeons and my family and, and you know what course of treatment we were going to take and, and all these all these questions. And then, I've, then I had children and the only way I know how to do describe what I felt in that moment, Suanne, was it was as though someone wrapped me in a bungee cord and it was pulling in two directions. So imagine being tied up in a bungee cord and then someone is playing tug of war with you. Mm-hmm. And the bungee cord is so tight you can't breathe. But both sides of the bungee cord are really important, both people. On one side, it was my family and my parents. And on the other side, it was my other family, Paznaz, who I felt so committed to but I still couldn't breathe. And I said, God, something has got to give. Because I felt like with all that was happening with my family and me flying back and forth, I felt like, you know, on one end, I could have pastored this church. On the other end, I could have cared for my parents. It was just both. I couldn't do both. And as my therapist often liked to remind me in that moment, she said, oh, so you you have limitations, Terabeth. And she would say kind of tongue-in-cheek because... I thought I was superwoman. And I think we often, you know, believe in that 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 lie that we can do it all. And I thought I could do it all. I've always prided myself in being a high capacity woman and so surely just add another thing to the plate I can do this. But I actually reached a breaking point. And I said to the Lord, something's got to give. And it was as though the spirit came and just took a knife and sliced the side of the bungee cord that was linked to Paznaz and said, you can go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, let's just return to Enneagram and talk about fear for a second. My time at Paznaz has always been about courage, emboldened. And leading this church, it was a turnaround church also, leading this church has always been about, you can do this. You can be courageous. God has emboldened you. And when the Spirit cut the cord it was as though the spirit then said and you can also be courageous to leave Mm. and it was such a moment for me and so how did you step into that yeah so my husband and I began praying we pulled in a few people um, to begin talking about things mentors therapists and it was just so abundantly clear. And then think from there, things happened so quickly, Sue Ann. We, I resigned. I told the board I wasn't even for sure yet where I was going. Uh, Jeff resigned from his job without even signing the dotted line. And then within a few weeks, Jeff got a job. And I, I told Jeff, I said, if there was one place I would want to serve in ministry, because I did not feel at all released from ministry. We just knew that we needed to come back here to Chicagoland so I could care for my parents. Mm. That was all we knew. Again, return to what do we know, what do we don't know. I knew that I was supposed to be back here in Chicagoland to care for my parents. And so I said, if there was anywhere I would work, again, as, as a non-senior pastor, as an associate pastor, it would only be Christ Church of Oak Brook. Mm. There's only one senior pastor that I would work for, and that would be Dan Meyer. 
And it's because I believe in Dan. I believe in this church. I believe in the culture that has been established here. And so I connected with Dan, and it was just, you know, the floodgates opened. And Dan said, actually, we're in a really um, interesting time as we're rolling out our strategic plan and going through this process. He said, let's get you here. Let's get get you on the bus, and we'll discern where this is leading. And so how, what happened in your soul when that happened? Yeah, it was a sense of confirmation and release and grief at the same time. And so the last three months, the journey that Jeff and I have been in have been that we've, we feel as though the Spirit has given us permission to have grief and joy at the same time, mm-hmm. to have sorrow and release at the same time, to, to weep and laugh at the same time. And what I mean laugh is just this holy laughter, this this joy that God is doing something. And so, you know, there have been moments throughout this transition where I've been flat on my face, weeping and crying out to the Lord, saying, this is really hard, God. And, and the next moment saying, and I'm so grateful for your provision. God has not necessarily plucked us out of the desert and say, I'm going to send you to a better place. We don't feel as though, you know, coming and, you know, leaving for this situation and coming here was necessarily going to the land of milk and honey. I mean, it feels like that at Christ Church, but the situation is hard. But what God has done is promised to be with us through this, to walk with us through this, and to provide a path for us. And so in many ways with our family situation, we're in the wilderness, we're in the desert, and experiencing grief upon grief, sorrow upon sorrow, tears. And also every morning, his joy comes. His mercy is there in the sorrow and in the sadness and in the loss. God's goodness and God's grace is here. And so we are so grateful that I get to be in a place where I get to exercise my gifts and my calling while also care for my family. Mm. You know, and in some ways that is a that is a picture of what 2020 has been all about for so many people is that they're holding um, all of these things in tension with one another and they're not sure how to navigate it. They're not sure yep. how to believe that God is both good yes. and whatever their and is, this yep. other place that they're they're walking through. Mm-hmm. And so what a beautiful picture and a reminder for people that you can hold both of these things yes. that when we go through hard times, that it doesn't mean God is no longer good. It doesn't mean that he no longer is who he said he is. He is still the same as yep. he was yesterday, yep. today, Amen. always. Amen. No matter what our circumstances that's are, right. no matter what we're walking through. That's right. And we don't have to know everything. And that's where I think these these this practice for me, what do I know what I don't know, is so helpful because I think that even in times like this, we can ask a lot of questions and have a lot of doubt and ask God questions and have so much uncertainty and still have faith. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that we don't have faith. It doesn't mean that we're a bad Christian or a weak Christian. In fact, I think that it shows a lot of courage and a lot of faith to come before God and say, I don't get this at all. Instead of trying to just fluff it over and button it up and with a, with a ribbon on top and, and make sense of it. Yes. I, I believe my time at Paznaz, as hard as it was and as short as it was, that nothing was lost and that God had a purpose in it. Do I know all the purposes? No. And I won't dare to try to bu- button it up 
with just a, a pithy little response of, well, I know exactly why I went there. I don't, but I know that God is good. I know that God blessed that season, and I know and trust that God will continue to bless even this difficult season I'm in now. Yes. I love that you've used the word courage several times throughout this, and courage to describe what you have to let go of, courage to, um, like you said, we often think that courage is this place of, of advancing, mm-hmm. of taking ground, mm-hmm. of, and this permission that we need that it's courageous to let go. That's right. It's courageous to grieve. It's courageous to acknowledge what we've lost mm-hmm. and still continue forward in that tension. Yeah. And, you know, Brene Brown has been so helpful for me with that, you know, with just her idea of braving the wilderness, yes. braving vulnerability. And too often, you know, we, we uh, internalize these worldly narratives of what we think courage is. We think courage is conquering. We think courage is, is this strong person. And God's economy and God's kingdom is very different. Courage often looks upside down. Courage like looks like leaving a job. Courage sometimes to the world looks like failure. Mm. Courage looks like a God that shows up in the form of a baby in a manger in the middle of nowhere. Wow, what a courageous and awesome and upside down and kingdom narrative. Mm. Beth, what are you looking forward to as you step into 2021, as you hold these things in tension, as you start a new job, as you, as you put yourself in this new place with your family? What are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to continuing to grow in the journey of faithfulness. And I don't mean that as some sort of like spiritualized, oh, mm. that's so sweet. She's such a great Christian way. I mean that because that that is the difficult journey that I'm on. I'm in a weird liminal space. Uh, that, that might be a word that's weird to some people, but this idea of liminality is to be in between where we are feel like we are just being catapulted into the fog without knowing where we're landing, without knowing what it's going to look like. I want to learn faithfulness in that. I want to say... God, I'm going to take one faithful step after the next. I know that today you're calling me to this, so this is my faithful step. Instead of trying to say, well, in 10 years from now, I'll be a senior pastor in California again or whatever. No, I want to be faithful to where I am right now and not plan out 10 years, 15 years, not get anxious about tomorrow even, but be faithful to what God has given me today. I think all of us can learn that lesson, no matter what our journey looks like, no matter what we're going through right now, whether 2020 has been really hard and we're not sure what 2021 holds in some of the significant things that you're talking about, or we're in a place of just saying, you know what, I'm actually doing okay, but it's still, we still don't know what's happening in 2021. We don't know if our kids are going back to school. We don't know uh, what our jobs look like. All of these things and this idea of faithfulness, Mm -hmm. just do the next thing that God is calling us to do. That's right. That began to be my prayer Mm -hmm. this year. Wake up in the morning. God, what's the faithful thing today? Mm -hmm. If it's working from home with my children, popping up on Zoom calls, begging for lunch, what is faithfulness? Well, it's, it's loving them and it's stewarding my job. It's stewarding my time well. And sometimes it's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's doing nothing. Yes. And <laughs> sometimes resting. Sometimes it's sitting and That's it's right. resting and right. it's, it's being 
um, with God in a way that reminds us that he is faithful. That's right. And then he calls us to that faithfulness. That's right. Amen. Mm-hmm. Tara Beth, last question for our time today. What um, What's shaping you right now? What are you reading? Who are you listening to? What What's going on out there that is shaping who Tara Beth Leach is today? Yeah. So there's several pastors uh, and preachers that I really love to listen to. Uh, Greg Boyd is one of them. He's pastor at Woodland Hills Church. Um, his book, Cross Vision, has been really, really instrumental and helpful for me, and much of what he's written has been really helpful. Uh, Bruxy Cavey is another one that is just so, so helpful. Uh, Mary-Kate Morris has come out with just several different books over this last, well, one that came out this year that has just been so, so awesome. And um, Brian Zond is another preacher. Of course, I've been listening to Dan Meyer for years. And so there's just so many voices that have been wonderful for me. I just finished reading uh, Scott McKnight's book called uh, A Book Called Tove, or I'm sorry, A Church Called Tove. And it is a wonderful book. Tove um, is this idea of goodness, churches that that embody the fruit of goodness. Mm. And so it's a really timely and important read for us today. Love it. You have also been busy. I said that was going to be the last question. I lied because you've also spent this year writing a book and it's coming out in 2021. Share more about that. Yeah. So I um, started writing this book and whenever you start writing a book, you have no idea what your life is going to look like. And so I have to tell you, we didn't know we were going to have a pandemic, didn't know my dad was going to have cancer, didn't know all these things when I started writing the book. Uh, But here we are. And so the book is called Radiant, and it is, I'm sorry, Radiant Church. Look at me. I don't even know (laughs) the title of my own book. Um, IVP will love me for that, but it's called Radiant Church. And what I write about is um, I I begin with a burden uh, for the church in North America for, for where we maybe have missed the mark. And then I call the church to a better way, uh, not just any way, but the way of Jesus, that Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, gives us a vision of who we can be. And again, as I said at the very beginning, I believe that Jesus believes that we can be that, that Jesus actually believes in us. And so the book is, is addressing some of the symptoms of unhealthiness that I see in the church in North America, but then calling the church to live into her radiance. Mm. I love it. The church needs that book right now. I think we all need that message. How will people be able to find that when it comes out? Yeah, so it's available for pre-order now on Amazon. Oh, yeah, so you can right. NIVP. So it comes out in February. So we're just a few months away. Mm, what a what an amazing reminder that God knew the timing of all of those things. I cannot wait for people to get that book in their hands, and I can't wait to read it because I think you are a voice that people need to listen to. Our church, not just Christ Church of Oak Brook, the church in general needs you today. Mm-hmm. And so, Tara Beth, thanks so much for being here today. You are such a blessing. Thank you, Sue Ann. Thank you for having me. And you are a blessing, and I'm so glad we get to partner together. I can't wait to see what God does. Me too. Well, friends, I so appreciate you joining in the conversation today. I hope you're feeling encouraged and inspired and emboldened, not only to use the gifts God has uniquely given you, but that you feel these things to be part of the church that Tara Beth is envisioning as we move forward in 2021, because there are a lot of things to look forward to. And so keep stepping in faithfulness, keep having courage, keep believing in who God created you to be. And friends, we're going to be okay. 
Hey, if you want to get to know Tara Beth a little bit better, you can friend her on Facebook. You can follow her on Instagram or Twitter at TaraBeth82. I would highly recommend that you do that. Don't forget to check out her book, Radiant Church. Pre-order that today. And friends, as long as you're remembering to do things, don't forget to, to listen to Deeper Still on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Follow Christchurch Women's Ministry at Christchurch Women on Instagram and Facebook. And of course, if you just want to know more about Christchurch and what it's like to do life here and to worship with us on Sunday, I'd invite you to visit www.christchurch.us. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, See you back here in January 2021. Until then, go in peace. Keep being awesome. Shine God's light everywhere you go in the midst of all things. And keep asking God to show you, no matter what life throws your way, how he wants you to go deeper still. Thanks, friends. We'll see you in 2021.